tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Straight Talk Radio, where we discuss business, politics, and culture. This is Donia Keating. I'm your host. I'm coming to you live from the Seattle area. It's about 1 p.m. Pacific time on Tuesday, August 1st. Um, listeners, you can dial 602-753-1970. It patches you in for live on-air participation with your questions and comments. Let us know you want to talk by pushing 1 on your uh, keypad. And there's also a chat option that's being used in moderation, so that if you have any questions or comments, you can send those in um, private to the switchboard, and they'll get those over to me. So today, we are speaking with a third candidate for City Council on Bainbridge Island. It's Joe Dietz from the North Ward. Uh, yesterday, we spoke with Rasham Nassar from the Central Ward, and then this past Friday, we spoke with Matt Tierman from the South Ward. Um, since we don't know who's listening from one show to the next, it's kind of worth repeating that we are open to hosting any and all other candidates as long as we are all available. That's just the way it goes. Um, and if you want to hear from a candidate, just reach out to them and send them our way. Um, that's what happened in the last three instances here, including today. So, And again, this podcast is the project of my firm, but this is not a money-making venture. Its purpose in forming it three years ago was to provide a service and a forum for the local and the global community so that they could have a voice on things that are important to them. So um, obviously some basic ground rules. I mean, I don't mind strong opinions. I don't mind passionate interchange um, because this is straight talk. That's fine. But if you're one of those people that thinks it's fun to come on to a live broadcast and just be kind of weird and go sideways, you know, just like in that movie Alien, you're just going to end up airlocked by CJ. So, I mean, save yourself some time. So I'm going to move on over to the studio line and see who is out here for us. Let's see. Joe, do we have you out here? Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Danya. How are you doing? Hi. Good. Great. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And who else do we have out here? Charles, I'm here. Great, awesome. Um, Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your bio and your background a little bit? Yeah, sure. Th- uh, thank you, Donna. Um, yeah, I've uh, uh, been on Bainbridge Island since uh, about 2000 uh, with my family. Um, it's actually the longest uh, time I've been anywhere at Bainbridge. Uh, we just love the... Uh, small town, uh, rural nature of the com- uh, and the community of the place. I have been quite active in progressive politics and issues for quite a few years. Uh, I was on uh, campaign staff for Senator Phil Rockefeller when he last ran for re-election uh, for the state Senate. And I've been involved in the renewable industry, the solar in particular, for, gosh, at least 10 years. I'm, I'm losing track. And... Uh, uh, going back, oh gosh, at least 2004, I think it was. So uh, I've been very active in, in renewables on a community level. We had a, uh, my wife and I, we had a nonprofit where we uh, uh, pushed uh, community uh, activism, uh, promoting uh, more renewables in communities, uh, working with city governments, uh, counties, states, um, uh, certainly solar industry. Uh, just the, anyone who would be willing to work with us. So you may ask, why am I running for council after doing all this and being quite happy in my career and, and of course, family life? Uh, why am I running for council is because I believe this is the time for someone such as myself, who I consider a reasonable, thoughtful person who's a progressive, can uh, step forward and help make a difference in their community. So I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I'm just just overjoyed with the support we're getting, and I'm happy to answer any questions. 
You know, and I appreciate that. And, yes, you have been very involved. I've served on committees and initiatives and boards and whatnot with you, and your reputation in that regard speaks for itself. And you mentioned Phil Rockefeller. I mean, I absolutely love Phil, period. I mean, I have a high degree of respect for him. Um, I consider him a friend. We don't always agree on things, but, I mean, he's somebody that I trust um, in terms of his opinion. He's always going to give you um, the straight deal. And, you know, even if you don't agree with him or you don't agree with one another, I mean, he's just someone that I really, really have a high, high level of respect for. So, um, I'm really cool that it's really cool that you mentioned him. Um, Charles, do you want to give a, a quick? Yes. Um, uh, I come from a tech background. I've been on the island. You know, basically we came here because of the school districts. We love it, but we've been in the area a long time. Um, and I've been obviously very involved in politics, I guess, uh, tangentially, not directly, but because of our trying to see this area grow and for there to be a more business-friendly and tech-friendly. And, of course, I strongly believe in triple bottom line and the ecological benefits of, of doing things smartly. And that's kind of what I'm looking for in a lot of candidates and going forward. Thank you. All right. On the issues, Joe, um, your main ones on your uh-huh. side are environmental protection, climate change, public uh-huh. trust in government, transportation, and affordable housing. These are all basically the same as other candidates, um, primarily because they are obviously important issues. So let's just take it from the top uh, and start with environmental protection, which also goes hand-in-hand with the second one, which is climate change. So on your website, you said that you would work to incentivize green building and increase distributed energy generation. Um, You also said the city had to hold Puget Sound Energy accountable to its carbon footprint and its reliance on coal, and that their willingness to work with us on this issue should factor into our decision to support whether or not we renew their franchise agreement in 2022. So I know for a while there it was getting a bit tense in the community and frustrating because a lot of people didn't know, they didn't have a real sense of where you stood on the island power issue or your position going forward. Um, And you've since talked about that a bit more, which frankly I appreciate that transparency. I I suspect others do too. But there's a multi-part question for you on this subject that we can just walk through. Um, The first one is I want you to describe the projects or the initiatives that you would recommend as a council member in order to address this issue okay the issue of of uh let's just be clear the issue of uh working with psc to uh divest its carbon footprint or or are the issue of increasing renewables on the island or or both i guess um, well it's all of that really that, i mean because part of yeah, it is yeah, about sure. Puget Sound energy but some of it may be yeah. independent of that yeah, sure. Okay. Well, let me just say uh, my background uh, plays a huge role in this. How do how do I approach issues? And and of course, you know, being in the solar industry, you may suspect naturally I want to increase uh, renewables. Um, certainly, I do. Um, and how was I able to do that? Was uh, reaching out to uh, the community and, and informing people. People will not go solar if they do not know about that. Um, doing projects on the island, such as the City Hall Community Solar Project, which uh, uh, we would have been well oversubscribed. So what I'm seeing is there's a strong demand. It's part of our community values to increase renewables. We just need to help tap in and help give people the tools to do really what they want to do. And and mind you, I'm talking about the community, and of course, what can the city itself do? So uh, being more of a, a, you know, first and foremost, my background is community-based, is to help people go solar uh, or at least reduce their energy usage in any any way, shape, or form. So, again, giving the information available to them. This does not have to be the city that does this, by the way. Uh, there, is, there are these opportunities. But um, let's just take uh, an example uh, that I, I've been mulling over. It, it, it may seem small, but I think it's, it's symbolic and, and it can really grow. Um, I, as well as I think about uh, over a thousand other people on the island, subscribe to PSC's Green Power. Mm-hmm. How much money do you think uh, accumulates each year to PSC from the Green Power that they get from Islanders? I'll tell you, it's over a hundred thousand dollars, about one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a year that people voluntarily give money out to PSC for the green power program. Here's a thought. Why don't we keep that money here on the island to do local projects? This is something I've been pushing PSC to do for years. And I think now that we pretty much have them at the table, 
to start discussing next steps. This is something very important to see. Do they treat us as an equal partner or do they treat us as simply a customer? Uh, can we expand the Green Power Program to be island-specific? That is, this is money that we're already expending. People are already volunteering uh, to pay out. Can we keep it on the island? And, and then decide, where does that money go? It, uh, putting uh, solar on nonprofit uh, uh, centers uh, for low-income housing, mind you. And I, I just to let you know, I have experience in doing a low-income solar program with um, Habitat for Humanity of Kitsap County. So these are things entirely doable, okay? So that's just one thought. And it would be very, some, very important to see. It will de help determine how serious PSE is in working with us, okay? Um, I think making the permitting easier for solar on, on Bainbridge would be very uh, helpful. Uh, incentivizing green building, as you mentioned, uh, would be very good. Um, in particular, the switch to PSC and its electrical services agreement. The city, during the midst of the island power issue, uh, the city had formed an excellent committee of people, islanders, uh, to advise on the island power issue. Folks like Eric Moe, Phil Rockefeller, many others, John Cunningham, uh, folks who come to mind. Some of the, we have a strong brain trust on this island. I'd like to see this committee reformed and continue to keep this conversation going as to how do we go to the way go forward in determining our energy future. So that's, a, that's I think, a good start. Well, you know, it's interesting because when we had a prior show, we were talking about Island Power. I think we had two different shows, and there were a list of other cities and even countries um, that had these initiatives that they were doing, sometimes in partnership with their existing utility um, and sometimes on their own. And, and there was a combination of changing the permitting, you know, changing, putting in infrastructure so that people can finance their own um, solar and other ways of, you know, changing the fleet for the city so that it was electrical vehicles, all these other things that they tried to do to reduce their carbon footprint instead of just looking at their utility as if it was just like the, the sole culprit that needed to be taken down in some type of David and Goliath battle. And so I really appreciate that you are thinking a little bit along those lines and saying, and not being dismissive about it like other people were saying, well, that's just small potatoes. Well, no, it's not. It's incremental and it's important to start considering as a community. So I really appreciate those thoughts. Um, hold PSE accountable is something that you said. So what criteria would you propose and under what conditions would you determine as a council member the status of renewing that franchise agreement? Well, I, I, their, their reliance on coal is, 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 is quite uh, simple. Uh, can they uh, uh, step away from coal strip? Uh, by the way, I am from Montana originally, so um, uh, uh -huh. coal strip is, is, is there. So a uh, little irony there. But, um, but I, I think they, they need to revisit this. And they know this full well when you talk to them. They, they, they get it, at least the people I talk to. So uh, we need to, to press on it, this issue when you're negotiating with anybody, a utility, another business, another, uh, uh, a government, you need to be, make your position clear where, what is important to us. And then our expectations, we expect you to do something about this. And what are those? What are, what are, you, what is your, what are your plans? And frankly, I have not heard what PSC's plans are to vest from coal, if any. And, and they need to come forward uh, in, in order to, uh, to do that. So I'm expecting to hear more from them. Well, I know they have co uh, closed down one of the their coal strips. They've committed to co co uh, closing down one of them, so they have done something. But mm -hmm. um, And then they're coming out with other programs that we'll get to in a minute to talk about. But, you know, in terms of mm -hmm. you said you were from uh, Montana, so you also understand that whole political situation there where, you know, they're they're worried about their economic you know, vitality. And so you always have to balance those interests. It's not an excuse. It's just a fact. But it's not like you can just shut everything down tomorrow and, and, and let the chips fall where they may. So I'm, I'm always very curious about, you know, what a candidate is thinking when they're coming into office and saying, you know, are you really going to kind of draw a strong line in the sand irrespective of all other factors, or are you really going to have a conversation? And I like what you said earlier about the money that, you know, the, the green power and the repower stuff that we all worked on together, 
and the fact that, you know, we're giving this money to um, PSD, so why not reinvest it back in the community? And instead of going through, you know, the grant process and doing the solar like they did at the senior center and all the other things they help with, I think Sakai and other places. So they have been partners here, but it's almost like saying, why don't you put that in sort of a trust for the community and then let us use that money to do other projects that are beneficial? Um, so you said you agreed with the current council's decision, and if they, and I guess by they you meant Island Power or their consultants, I don't know which, if they come back with the same proposal, you wouldn't change your position. But it, it sparked the question in my mind, of what, what would you think um, would need to be different for you to consider reigniting that issue? Uh, what would be different from Island Power? Uh, well, what for you me said, to reconsider that? Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I... You know, to be honest, I would throw that back at them. It's not for me to to say where I would budge. I, I mean, I honestly, I, I would want to see what are they prepared to do. Uh, they have to know, honestly. They have to know if they come back with the same proposal, they're going to get the same result. I, I'm not here okay. to advise them what changes. That That is not my role here. Uh, my, no, no, my and that wasn't the is, question, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I expect if they're ser- if they want to do this, I mean they're free to come back. But uh, if they come back with the same proposal, they're, they're going to have to expect the same results. So, yeah. um, so I I'm sorry. Is, is that I'm not trying to avoid the question, but I'm not here to negotiate for them their position where how they want to move forward. They need to consider what is it, how do they want to move forward, if at all. Well, it's, an, okay. it's another way of asking. You know, obviously there was a unanimous decision. To, to not continue with it for a variety of reasons, and those reasons were financial and, and community um, divisiveness and so forth. So it's really another way of asking you, based upon the agreement that in the uh, study that you looked at, what you felt would mm-hmm. need to be different for you if you were a council person to mm-hmm. be able to say, yes, I would sure. have voted on that. And, and, I, and I think that's mm-hmm. maybe it's a bridge too far for you right now considering you know, where yeah. we are, but it was, it was a question that I thought was interesting in light of the way you yeah. phrased your answer. Sure. Well, let me just say, uh, Donna, I, I will add, uh, having done many community projects, um, in order to get – where's the buy-in? Here, I think it's safe to say there simply was not the community buy-in on this issue. There just simply was not. And if I've learned anything, you cannot move forward without the public support. When I've done solar legislation, when I've done projects, I've we spent a tremendous amount of time getting that buy-in, listening to others. And so that's just that's just how you succeed in in, in doing a community-wide program. So without that buy-in, um, you know, it's not going to happen. Hey, yeah, hey, Joe, and I, and this I, is I Charles. I, hey, I was going to say, go ahead, Charles. I, you know, I think the thing that people are looking for is when Island Power was selling their initiative, they said it would be more reliable, cheaper, and greener. And the thing is, you're never going to get all those at the same time. You don't get reliability just by virtue of becoming a public power network. You have to spend money to improve reliability or change laws or change the way you're trimming trees. And if you're not willing to do that, you don't get reliability. And you don't get lower costs when you've got to spend millions in a, in, a, in a buyout. Now, the other part of your message is to kind of find cooperative partnerships. It makes a lot more sense than spending millions on a contentious legal battle because that doesn't buy us one green electron. And I think people, they kept overstepping that, and that's why I think that was kind of a dead issue. We, we have to look at finding ways to be more uh, cooperative and find innovative ways. And I think that's what we were looking for. Somebody could say, look, you can't sell reliability just because of who owns the network. You have to invest money to do that. It's not something that just becomes a virtue by changing the owner. Reliability is based upon the physics of the network, and they kept, they kept using slanted stats. And even now, the reliability is obviously much improved or goes up and down depending upon what years you're dealing with. But a largely it's about due to tree trimming. So things like that were parts of the oversell. But the thing that you're – bring to the equation is you understand projects and community solar. And so you understand, obviously, the metrics of that situation very well. But without storage in the network, we can't easily, you know, like to overnight replace coal with solar and wind without places to store that energy and use it when the sun ain't shining and the wind ain't blowing. So that's the part that PSC has to deal with. Then when people put out sound bites, I want to be for renewable, you have to solve that part of the equation. So I guess what we're looking for is people that acknowledge that, understand the physics of the situation, and are willing to be good partners. 
So what do you think about that? Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, let, let, let's talk batteries for a second. Um, obviously, I work for a solar company, so I'm, I'm, I have some awareness of storage issues. Um, we are much farther along uh, uh, on the storage than, say, we were uh, a year ago. We're not quite yep. there yet, unfortunately. Um, uh, let's say Tesla, the Powerwall 2, uh, they're making great promises, but it currently is not available in Washington State. Um, right. uh, when will that ha- happen? Maybe in a year, you know, I don't know. Tesla likes to make promises. And uh, uh, I'll just say the company I work for, we're, we're actually Tesla dealers for what it's worth, but we have no product. But the point being, it is in the works, as is other companies uh, that we know of are working. This this is a huge issue, storage. Um, yes. it, and so let's say it's, it's we're, we're not going, I would say, as fast as I would like, but it is happening. Um, right. I, I'll just say my company actually is working with a German company right now, Sonnen, uh, but we don't feel their solution is quite adequate. Um, and let me just get back to PSC. Uh, I'm curious. They were working on a very large storage project at one of the substations here on the island a couple of years ago, and I know they lost one of their key personnel, uh, Patrick Leslie, and um, I've asked them, well, what has happened with that? And I actually didn't never really got a straight answer, but so they, they were on the right track. Uh, and then somehow that large uh, battery project somehow got sidelined. I would like to see if they can re- seriously revisit that. Uh, cause they, um, because you're right. Uh, Charles storage is huge. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but we're, I think we're on our way. Yes. All right, I appreciate it that. Was, uh, oh. It was it was pulled from the market. They were looking at a vendor that was going to provide a store a flow a flow battery, and the flow battery wasn't working. <laughs> so uh-huh. they didn't implement a solution that wasn't working up to spec. And I think you know, so I think they they basically they were trying to do it, and they realized the tech wasn't ready yet. So uh-huh. yeah, I'm I'm just I guess the thing is I'm just looking for people that acknowledge it's not just a soundbite. I love solar too. I think it's it's the long term solution, but you have to deal with the metrics of an energy network and what do you do with it's January and there's not enough sun to provide the energy capacity, you know, for thirty days. A Tesla Powerwall at best will give you a day of storage. I mean you can't yes. you know there's there's things like that that I don't want sound bites, I want people who really understand the technology and understand the predicament that it's not easy for you know PSC to just wipe out coal strip without having a new energy source, and new energy sources in storage are expensive, and those costs have to be spread. It's not just something you can just will up. We don't even have enough hydro. I was on a call this morning that the, the amount of hydro that's being sold in central Washington is being limited. They've been pitching data centers, but they don't have enough cheap energy anymore. So our hydro is not our going forward solution. It's going to be solar, wind, and other energy sources. Mm-hmm. So, Joe, there was a comment on Facebook, um, and I didn't follow up with it, so I'm going to ask you here. But it, it asked you if you would recommend requiring PSA to drop their current lawsuit against the Department of Ecology um, over the clean air rule as a precondition of renewing the agreement. Is that? Did you ever answer that question? Is that an approach you take? Uh, I guess I missed that question. I'm sorry. Um, I, I was following Facebook. Uh, to be honest, I, I, I don't know the particulars, but, but is, let me just, uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of ask, is it the case that the PSC is suing the EPA uh, uh, in respect to complying with the clean air rule? Is that is that is that the case? I'm trying to clarify. Well, it's, well, the case is really, it's there are co-plaintiffs. So there are plaintiffs. So there's PSE. I think there's uh, Cascade is in there. Avista is in there, and Northwest Natural. Um, and their claim is that the Clean Air Rule discriminates against interstate commerce um, and regulates extraterritorially and, and burdens interstate commerce, which deprives them of their rights. Um, and and what what it really is is the new rule: the businesses that are responsible for 100,000 metric tons of carbon. Um, are going to be required to cap and gradually reduce those emissions. And if they can't, they have to develop a project that reduces their carbon pollution in Washington, or they have to buy their carbon credits from others um, or from other approved carbon markets. And so their legal brief is really about whether utilities should be able to purchase their emission reduction units or their ERUs through out-of-state programs, um, which allow utilities to comply with the clean air rule by purchasing the credits from green gas 
um, offsetting programs. But you know, their their claim is that they're not they're not enough emission reduction units for the utilities to comply with that, um, which may drive them to seek less clean energy out of the state. And so. It's one of those things where that's the case legally, but then you look at the social justice and environmental justice and political issues beyond that, and then it's kind of being spun as well. They don't they don't agree with the clean air rule. They're you know polluters and so forth, and so that's kind of the spin on it. But the 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 point of the question is that someone was asking you whether or not you, as a council person, would negotiate with PSE and tell them, hey, you've got to drop that lawsuit against Department of Ecology. Um, and that would be a condition of us renewing your franchise agreement. And I was just curious about that. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I'll be honest. I, I thank you for that. That uh, some of that, that detail. And and I would want to first off, I would want to make sure I fully understand this. But if it is a matter of let's let's look at the principles of what we're trying to achieve. Is it to get uh, PSC to get off its reliance on coal? Okay. If if and and that is if this is uh, will help that objective then yes but I I'm honestly I'd like to study that a little bit more because it sounds like there's some finesse here but I and I'm not trying to avoid the question but I, it's it's I want to make sure I understand that but PSC needs their account this is a chosen carbon footprint that they're they're a path they they've taken and. I know, as Charles says, it's not so easy. They can't just switch off from that. But they need to have a plan of how they're going to do so, and they need to be clear and transparent about that. So that's what I'm going to be looking for. So how does this legal issue play in? I, I want to make sure, I, you know, before I say yay or nay, I, I, hopefully people understand where I stand on this issue. And, uh, and you know, so, yeah, how, how's that? Well, I appreciate the due diligence response. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that anyone is served by someone that just comes in there swashbuckling and saying they're just going to, you know, slash and burn everything. And and I also, you know, don't want someone that's just going to rule something out completely without assessing whether or not there's some some benefit to that. So, I appreciate your answer. Um, the other things that I wanted to talk about is we, we were saying earlier, what have they done? And, and like I said, you've been involved in a lot of different initiatives also with uh, PSC, Green Direct and Solar Choice are some of the newest ones that they've come out with, and people, some people in the community are characterizing it as greenwashing or insignificant on the part of PSC. Um, are you familiar with Green Direct and or Solar Choice? Um, generally, and, and frankly, people are, are free to do that. I'm, I'm not going to criticize that uh, directly, uh, but what I will say, frankly, is what does that do for Bainbridge Island? As far as our, we need local uh, generation on the island. Do either of those do that? No. Okay. So this is this is what I want to uh, focus on is how many solar systems are there on Bainbridge Island currently? About 225 or thereabouts. Okay, which is a huge growth in what we saw seven eight years ago when we first tried doing solar tours, and we had a hard time finding any solar homes. So we have quite a few systems out there now. Uh, but when we have, what, 9,000-plus homes on the island, it's still a drop in the bucket. So I think we have a huge amount of growth uh, here um, to go. And let's focus on that. Uh, PSC has their agenda, and it doesn't seem to include local, distribution, uh, local generation on the island. And that's what I want to bring. Here for what actually benefits the island. So uh, are we, let's just say, are we in an earthquake zone? Are we in, a, in an area where should uh, we be totally isolated in a catastrophic earthquake? Yes. So we need to focus, this is another issue that we need to look at. What, what can the solar do to help us um, get through uh, uh, a catastrophic event? Green Direct uh, and, and those programs won't do anything for that. You know, it's interesting because my point in bringing up the question was not to criticize them. I mean, as a city council person, these are the types of um, comments and feedback from your community that you're going to receive. And so if somebody tells you it's greenwashing and somebody tells you it's important, then you're obviously going to have to listen to both of them and then incorporate that, you know, the background into that when you're making your decision about what we do as a, as a city. So that was why I asked that question. Um, Green Tech Media did an article about, I think it was Green Direct, it was back in April, and it described actually Green Direct, which was approved by the WUT 
UTC. It's not like, you know, they just pulled it out of their hat or something. But they described it as a model that other utilities could replicate across the country. And as a result of Green Direct, I think XL Energy actually started rolling something out similar in Colorado and Minnesota. And they're another company that has a mixed portfolio, which is, you know, coal, but also hydro and biomass and nuclear and wind. And, and I think they actually set a world record for electricity from wind power a few years back. But the point is that with Green Direct, the first subscribers were REI, which is very well respected for their environmental stewardship and their um, their thought process. Starbucks is on their target. I think Western Washington University came on board after that in Sound Transit. And then King County is the largest subscriber, and now the cities, Anacortes, um, Mercer Island, Bellevue, Snoqualmie, they're all on board. Um, and so REI's senior manager of sustainability, actually, in that same article, he described Green Direct as a pioneering nationwide model that could actually reshape how utilities in other regions supply renewable energy to customers and ultimately, the long view, make renewable energy a more viable and accessible option. So it's not something that may not be um, available directly on Bay Ridge Island, which is why your other projects with solar and so forth would certainly make sense. Um, but... I think that it's one of those conversations we need to have as a city regarding whether or not Green Direct gets us somewhere else um, other than just, you know, an insular thought process about what our city is achieving. So um, let's move on then uh-huh. to affordable housing. How about that? Okay. Um, yeah, big okay, issue sure. on the island. You mentioned Fernclyffe Village as a model. Um, uh-huh. But you also said that you don't feel like we have um, – enough land or enough affordable housing projects in the pipeline. So what would you like to see and uh, how would you work specifically to achieve that? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, Well, first off, identify the problem. Uh, uh, We have an affordable housing crisis uh, on the island. Uh, I've done uh, quite a bit of doorbelling uh, uh, as a candidate and I know Bainbridge has, tends to have a reputation of uh, affluence and and I think that is frankly misguided. Uh, there's a lot mm-hmm. of people struggling on this island. They're mm-hmm. struggling to stay here, uh, just uh, wondering, can they hang in there? Uh, and so there's, there really is a housing cri- affordability crisis here. So identifying the problem, uh, this is something we have to uh, uh, approach uh, and find uh, innovative ways. I mentioned the Prince Village because, I, I, one, I drove by it so many times on the way to the ferry, and then I visited it uh, and met with people, and I'm just amazed at what a great project it is but and then i i'm concerned when i'm told you know there is nothing in the pipeline to 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 replicate this so we have a serious you know serious need and a lack of uh projects coming forward so how do we how do we create these projects well i wish i had uh something i could just pull out of my hat but i i do feel that we need to find gra- uh jump on those opportunities when they come up uh, th- this is something I have learned uh, through my uh, community involvement where um, you, you, you try and uh, promote a program and often you're not successful, but when you find those opportunities, and it's often it's the right partners who come forward. So I'm mm-hmm. looking for the right partners, that mix of folks to, to uh, someone owns land or maybe the city owns land, uh, and let's, let's jump on that and, and make it happen because so help me if we don't, uh, just more people are going to uh, move away from the island, and uh, it's going to be. This is to me. This is what sustainability is about, in large measure, is people being able to live their lives uh, fully. And if they can't afford to live where they work, uh, that is not that is not sustainable. So, I I, I know there's a, an affordable housing task force that that's just being uh, reformed. I would seriously want to look at what were the, is their advice? Um, how can we make this happen as much as possible? It's always going to be an issue. Frankly, my, uh, Bainbridge has always had an affordability uh, issue, but it's, it's just reaching really crisis proportions right now. It is. Yeah, and it's going to continue because, you know, as we've been talking about on all the other shows, and me and Charles do a lot of stuff and the the tech, you know, part of the tech lobbying stuff too, and part of the education as well, but it's really uh, about the tech industry. And San Francisco is exploding, Silicon Valley exploding, obviously. A lot of migration to Seattle. I mean, we are now considered the second largest um, corridor 
second to Silicon Valley. We didn't used to be. And so the implications of that, obviously, these people that are used to spending a lot more money in California are coming here and finding it cheaper. So they're kind of moving in. And, you know, they're going from Seattle. And then, of course, they naturally want to cross the ferry and look at Bainbridge. And now it's actually running down the corridor from Bainbridge down to Polsbo and Suquamish and, and Silverdale and Bremerton. And, and it's it's they're all feeling the pinch. So I was just very curious about what kind of examples of successful affordable affordable housing solutions you'd want to see replicated, and I'm guessing you're saying Ferncliff Village is one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. It's it's a, it's an amazing uh, project, and uh, if, if um, I would certainly encourage people to go and and, and visit it. So finding where uh, where can we find, and it doesn't have to be like Ferncliff Village, but finding uh, the objective is where can we uh, put in affordable homes, and these would be smallish homes like that are at Ferncliff, uh, but energy-efficient homes. Uh, mm-hmm. And where can we make these – how can we encourage this to happen? We're getting a lot of homes built on the island, but they tend to be, you know, three-quarters of a million dollars range. Uh, how can we get the affordable homes built here as well? And and I, I'm really open to su- suggestions. Um, you know, my background is in clean energy, not affordable housing, but I do see the need, and I, mm-hmm. I feel if we address this as a serious issue uh, and a priority, because we're this island's going to be hurting if we can not uh, provide housing for people, uh, young families, uh, people, young people wishing to come here and stay. Uh, it's it's. It's going to be very, very difficult, even more difficult than, than it is now. So making yeah, it a priority, I, it, it, you know, yes. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, and I, in San Francisco, I brought that up because they also had a, a recently approved amendment to increase the percentage of below market rate housing included in new developments. And um, it requires developers who create 10 or more units to either pay an affordable housing fee or set aside a portion of BMR units for low and middle income residents. And I don't think we do that now. Um, so is that something that you would consider? Because I, obviously, I mean, we are constantly looking at the push-pull in our community between, hey, we need affordable housing and we need some projects that are green and we need this, this, and this. And then you have other members of the community that don't want anything else built here. So you have to kind of ba- balance those interests. And they say that no developer is going to ever invest or build in something if they can't make a profit off of it. So I'm curious as to you know, what your thinking is in terms of, you know, you said you don't have that expertise, but how do you how do you even think about trying to balance those yeah. interests? Well, I could say uh, I, I, I know uh, is, is affordable housing not uh, green? I mean, uh, Habitat for Humanity, as I understand, is one of the largest green builders in the country. Okay. So green building is affordable. So uh, I, I don't see a distinction there. Um, I mean, in uh, to be able to afford to live in a house, uh, an energy-efficient house, uh, is 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 part of affordability, and it, it's just simply good sense to do so. Um, so um, I don't see a distinction. To me, in my mind, they're the same: uh, affordable housing and frankly, uh, uh, energy-efficient homes, uh, frankly, green homes. Uh, yes, um, and and like. Turning to that uh, low-income solar project that I, I did, uh, working with uh, Daryl Boggs and, and for Habitat down in Port Orchard, we mm-hmm. we were managing to get that done with no um, special grants, no uh, nothing. It, it's all existing incentives that are out there, and uh, and no high attorney fees or anything. It was really a matter of collaborating with. Uh, uh, in this case, Habitat for Humanity, ourselves, uh, and uh, uh, solar uh, manufacturers, that uh, we can make this happen. So it's a, how do you sort of tie those parts together? And this is what I'm envisioning with affordable housing, is where can we bring the, the various parts together and uh, create that uh, those solutions? There's not going to be a cookie-cutter uh, solution. It's going to be uh, a lot of probably unique solutions that all achieve the same hopefully, you know, that result. Yeah, I agree with you that it's not mutually exclusive. I think it's just really trying to find that secret sauce, especially on places like Bainbridge Island. I mean, Bremerton just had its own issue where it was trying to – 
you know, you know, relax the code a little bit with regarding ADUs and people used to that have these on their property used to have to live there for six months out of a year and they just tightened it up four to three um, to make it a requirement that they have to be there all year round, which you know pretty much tanked that that opportunity. So, you know, Bremerton isn't Bainbridge obviously, but some of those concerns do transfer. So when we start talking mm-hmm. about ADUs, which have come up in our community conversation, um, we're you know looking at the restrictions and other things that we might have to um, come up with um, legally in, in terms of our code. It's going to be a very interesting thing. Um, Charles, what did you, um, you – I see that you have some comments you want to make about this issue. Okay. I, I said, And this came up in uh, both of our other candidate conversations, and that is, uh, one, uh, Matt pointed out that when builders are given an option to get variances, they can choose either echo, echo or affordable uh, features, and they always, always, always choose echo. So they take advantage of – building to the luxury market because they can make more profit. Uh, and I think the other thing is people speak to that they want affordable because they want, you know, policemen and firemen and people to live here. But I think the other side of that is this mindset of, and, and even uh, you just mentioned it, Joe, there's this mindset that BI is really, you know, kind of this wealthy enclave and they want to protect their values. And they think that if we make more affordable housing, that that's going to affect the property values because it's going to let people with less means be able to live here. And it's like, well, that kind of, speaks counter to making this a livable, sustainable community. They say they want diversity and sustainability, but they really don't want the other side of that equation, which is really making it happen. And I think that the two things that will probably, or three things that will probably come up is what you can control is how the city spends its money and what kind of policies it puts in place. And then the, the on the spending side, if we lock in a lot of expensive projects because we're you're putting out their nameplates and things that we think are going to look really good, but they're going to be spending a lot of money. It's going to basically force taxes to keep going up, and that's going to make it less mm-hmm. affordable. The other thing that will mm-hmm. happen is what kind of policies can you have in place? Bainbridge already has a reputation in the construction community of being the most difficult place to build. The city is very aggressive. It takes a long time to get permits. It's very expensive. It's very bureaucratic. It already has a, a large building staff, the largest of all the cities in the area. It's, it's very aggressive in that, how it produces that. So the question is, if you want to be able to support more affordable housing, you kind of have to rein in some of the city bureaucracy. That also affects the spending side of it. But you also have to prioritize things like that might not look so good, like more density so that people can have you know, apartments because they can't all afford two or 3,000-square-foot waterfront homes. That's not affordable housing. That's what people like but it's not the kind of affordable that a school teacher can afford. So I think we have to look at those trade-offs and say, look, we, we say we want it, but we're not really making those choices. So from your perspective, have you looked at the kind of policies that you would question or make changes to to help support the affordable equation? Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Well, uh, certainly it, it does stand to reason that more homes would uh, – having more homes available would allow – the opportunity for affordability. So, uh, I mean, we have to really look seriously at the, at the higher density uh, uh, opportunities that we have. Uh, I mean, to be able to uh, let people come here and live here, and, and particularly, you know, in our core of Winslow. And we, we have to make uh, adjustments to allow people to live here who do, cannot afford, you know, a million-dollar home. Um, and I think, again, looking at Ferncliff Village, I think it's safe to say, did, did that lower the value of property around the area? Of course not. Okay, so uh, th- this is something, you know, these, we're all in this together, and uh, we, we need to allow folks who uh, cannot afford those million-dollar homes to live here because they work here. They, they're part of our community. They're, they're part of us. And uh, right. how do we achieve that? Uh, to me, I, again, I'm thinking of the goal. How do we get there? Okay, and, and finding where where are those solutions? And it maybe you know increasing density. I'd like to look at that. I think it's worth looking at. Yeah. Definitely. And so, it's leadership, I think, that makes that transition. Because I think when Ferncliff was being proposed, there were people opposing it because they didn't want a low low income housing development. And yet it didn't destroy the character of the island. And I think that's the point of leadership is to say, look, you may not like the look of this on its, on its surface, but if you look further, you might actually like it. I mean, I can use as an example the, the Seattle DSTO trail. 
all the trees that got removed. Oh, my gosh, it was a firestorm of criticism. And yet, will it look good or will it be beneficial to the island in the long run? And I guess leadership is saying, look, I've looked at the pros and cons. I know what we're trying to do. There's going to be some some pain in the short term or some disfigurement if we remove trees. But when we build it back, this is what it's going to look like. And the pros and cons of that have to be weighed. And that's where I think leadership comes in place because you're not always going to be doing the popular thing. And I think that's, Mm -hmm. again, where you got to look for your values and what your policies might be because that's, I think that's what people are starting to look for. They want to look for people that are willing to make a slightly unpopular decision, but something that's really beneficial in the long run for the island. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, um, uh, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say that, you know, somebody just made a mention of the Bainbridge Landing project that's, you know, kind of on the slate for us that's moving forward, and, and that's kind of a pro and con where they're trying to put in rental um uh, units for people that can't necessarily afford to buy, and they're incorporating a public park into it, and they're going to have mixed use. They're going to have um, apartments, but also, I think, condos and townhomes and stuff. And yet, there's still an argument about the density and the concern about um, utilities and other things that kind of uh, result in pushback on that project. What were you going to say, Joe? Oh, well, I, I, since Charles mentioned the uh, the uh, STO, uh, Sound Olympics uh, Trail, uh, Trail. Uh, I just wanted to say I I am fully in support of that uh, project to go get us to the bridge, and then of course it will go beyond that to to the coast, right? But it, it is a matter of what is this going to look like. And I I did do a tour of, of the of that area uh, from you know the ferry to uh, High School Road, and that is a an amazing project. Um, it and I asked quite a few times during the, the, um, my tour, what is this going to look like north of High School Road? And um, I didn't quite get the clarity that I would like to see uh, mm-hmm. because, one, I, I fully in, in favor of, of the STO. I just want to be very clear of that. But what is it going to look like? Because <laughs> I think we were all shocked with, with this first phase. And, and I don't want us to be shocked. I think the, we, we need the, the community needs to be better informed of this. Um, you know, I, I just using myself and, my fa- myself and my family as an example, when that happened, we literally did not know what was going on. We were uh, quite shocked. And, uh, and I considered myself reasonably informed. So let's not have that happen again. Uh, I think the city really can do a better job in communicating uh, what it's working on. Um, and when it makes uh, announcements about, oh, let's design the bridge, for example, I'd like to see a little more background in that announcement as to where is this, how does this play in the overall project? What is the, uh, say, what does the council ha- has decided on this project thus far? And what are future steps? Um, I'd I think there needs to be more of a, you know, let's say kind of an executive summary where people can quickly catch on to as to what is happening in our community when we're presented with uh, sort of these piecemeal projects um, because, um, you know, the bridge is right now a very big issue. And uh, I'm concerned about the cost and I'm, I'm concerned, I mean, do we really, do we really need it? I mean, um, it, can, we, can we afford that? Frankly, I think that you know, needs and, it, and you bring up, I mean, I, I, my career, I mean, you, you've done a lot of things, and my career has, has really been in a lot of public policy and government and advising agencies and so forth. And, you know, even with that level of involvement, I even admit that a lot of things here slip through the cracks because there's only so much time in the day. And, and so I look at this, and sometimes I look at what's happening with city council, and I think it's so unfair that you know, the community unloads on them sometimes. Sometimes they deserve it, but there are times when it's like, look, we have a responsibility to keep track of this stuff, too. They're putting out the agendas. They're putting out the minutes. They're putting out they can't force the papers to to write a story about every single issue that's coming up they're doing the best they can to get the word out in compliance with that law and we have a responsibility um, to look at that too and do our own due diligence so I, there's really obviously a balancing act there but I think that it you know there's two subjects here that we can go into right now based upon this discussion and we probably have about uh, probably about seven minutes left and I'll leave it up to you I mean public trust in government and then transportation where do you want to go with with your uh, your topics. Okay. Well, uh, well, um, we, we we can cover uh, both. Let, let, let's talk pu- about public trust. I, I think this is okay. uh, 
a, basically a, 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 an elephant in the room because um, yeah, I think we can all agree that, that there is a lot, there seems to be a lack of trust, uh, definitely a lack of trust. Let me just put it that way uh, in the community with the city, and 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 it doesn't need it doesn't need to be this way at all. And uh, I was on the ethics board. I was chair for two years, and mm-hmm. what I saw, the city has a lot of things going on well like for example there is an ethics program there in uh, in in place that is it that is there's an expectation of council members people on committees and staff need to be transparent and accountable um no conflicts of interest and uh it's there but people didn't no, seem to know about this so part of our job at, at, on the ethics board was to uh, advise committees and the um, and the council and this is something we uh, when I, as I was on the board and I just left that um, to kind of kickstart this outreach program and I'd like to see that expand uh, to include city staff. So the point being is this is this is a uh, again a process of how do we uh, broaden our the, the the government's knowledge of of ethics is and then make sure that the community knows that. These are there. That, that there is an ethics uh, requirement, uh, expectation um, f- uh, for anyone involved in, in the city, and um, I'd like to see. I'd like to see that continue. It just it's, so the point being is this was there, but it just seemed like no one seemed to know about it. Uh, except there was a few flashpoints I, I noticed on the ethics board that things would come up. But um, and because there's how do we address this issue? It's 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 we need to keep let the community know that the city is actively working on this, and the city recognizes that trust is something that they have to earn, and and they have to work hard at it. Um, let, let me just mention briefly. Uh, you know, I, I I talk about my solar background, but I, I've had I had another career in finance, and and I worked for the Hong Kong government uh, back in the 90s. And uh, very quickly, I'll just say this was uh, an agency. If anyone knows Hong Kong, what it's like. Um, I, start, I joined an, uh, a government commission that uh, oversaw the, the financial markets, the stock exchanges and futures exchanges. Let's just say, was that welcome? Were people overjoyed when this was created uh, uh, no. in that community? No. We were hated, absolutely hated. <laughs> yes, I, okay. I know. Now, and, yeah, and, and yet when I left uh, 10 years later, we were highly respected. How did we get there? By doing a really good job by being professional, by being clear. We had a policy that when I say, when I was given a submission from uh, a financial entity that wanted to uh, sell securities, that I would write essentially one letter to them. This is what you need to do, just one letter, and they could go on that. And now, uh, obviously, if, if some other information came up, I'd have to uh, come up. But the point being, uh, Charles mentioned the, the long process with the city. Um, my gosh, couldn't, it seems like there's definitely room to streamline this and make it easier for folks who want, who want to build. So when you focus on the delivery of good service and um, expertise and, and clarity, uh, I think that you're going to see some trust and respect develop. And, and as I saw in the organization I worked for. I also think it's, uh, you know, right now the, the committees and the advisory committees and whatnot, unless they have some type of a specific project to, to coalesce around, it's really more of a passive thing. So in other words, the way it's set up with the ethics board is if you feel like there's something that's not going right, then you write them, and then that launches the, the investigation and then the feedback or whatever to that. And uh-huh. you just mentioned something with what you were doing in Hong Kong. When someone had an issue, you wrote something. You took a proactive step there, and I think that maybe that's the maybe that's the solution. Maybe instead of just waiting for somebody to write you about something that they feel was a violation, instead there's like a series of outbound communication to people regarding the ethics board and what it's looking for and and what its you know tenets are and 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 just the way that they you know want to hold people accountable to, to create public trust in government. So I think that that may be one of those things that the ethics boards can do to expand upon their, you know, their uh, their mission so to speak or their goals. Um Charles, you got some comments on this issue? Yeah, it it seems like the city has a lot of different committees and it has an ethics program in place. 
I think from a from a structural point of view, it has a lot of the tools already available to it. And and and, and thank you, uh, Joe, for being a part of you know helping create the structure by which they can work. I think specifically, I think what sometimes drives the issues of distrust with the city is the manner of decision making. In other words, like with the dock project, I watched how you know they got like two million dollars and they. Basically, the bids came in and basically consumed that. And then the the the, uh, the design, you know, the, the uh, public works director said, "Well, we got to throw a three hundred thousand dollar contingency on here." And people are like, "Well, where's the three hundred thousand come from?" Well, you know, general fund. We'll just grab it. And it's it's that. And some of them had some real reservations about it, but they couldn't do anything about it because if they said no, they were going to miss their construction window. So it was like almost like it was sprung on them. And then here's three hundred thousand dollar bill handed to them and you don't even know what you're buying it's a contingency well we might not spend it i think it's that kind of freely spending lots of money because bainbridge is wealthy that that really rankles people they feel like there's not good due diligence in the way spending is being controlled i think that's what's driving the ethics conversation is like look you guys spend money like it's water and then all of a sudden our taxes are going to go up and you're going to lock in costs and we won't be able to do anything about it because will be stuck. And I think they're looking for somebody to really push back on that process. Sometimes the city manager is driving the conversation. Sometimes city council is driving it. There isn't this clear sense of things flowing from council in a deliberative process and then being executed by the city manager. Sometimes it goes backwards. That's what I think gets mm-hmm. people a little bit mm-hmm. weirded out. Fair mm-hmm. statement, mm-hmm. right? Thank, thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. Let, let, let me just, just mention uh, uh, things are going, you know, economically, we're booming here in Seattle. Uh, do we think this is going to continue uh, indefinitely? Absolutely not. No. It, it, it does not no. take – we need to only look – I'm a, a student of financial history. I, one only needs to look <laughs> back at the last few thank catastrophes uh, that we've had. So we need to be – that's going to happen again. It, it, and that yeah. wasn't that long ago. I mean, uh, no. so and it's is that are we gonna is that gonna come back in some way, shape, or form? I I would guarantee it. Yes, uh, because it always does. And yep. and so we need to actively we need to be mindful that th- that is we need to be prepared for those contingencies. So yeah, Charles, I I think being really mindful of how we spend our money uh, is is critical. And in some ways. Almost having a, a policy of well, I'm going to say no until I'm, I'm proven. You know, it's, it's, I'm convinced that yes is the answer. Um, yeah. Because, or, or, or is there a less expensive way of doing this? Frankly. Yeah. And 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 often there is. So. Right. Uh, what what drives me crazy is when I hear people say, "Oh, in all my time, I've never seen seen things so bad." Uh, you know, during some financial crisis. Well, you're not paying attention. Okay, because these, these things, oh, yes. it, it, yeah. and it, it, it obviously predates our lives and careers of various catastrophes. But the point being is, will we see that happen again? I could say yes. When I have no idea. Okay. Yeah. So you've got about Appreciate a minute that. left here. Um, why don't you uh, give us your website URL, your Facebook page, or the best way to keep track of what you're doing so that this conversation can continue? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, this has been great. Uh, time's just flown. Um, yes, I have a campaign <laughs> website, uh, uh, Joe Dietz for Council, okay? And I have a comment section that uh, people are taking advantage of. Uh, obviously, you can you know say I, you vote for me, but even more important, I want to hear from you because I this is a learning process for me. And, and issues such as affordability, uh, uh, taxes, uh, government process. I, I, you know, a lot of things. I really want to hear from from other. I, I have to hear from other folks. If I'm elected to council, this will continue. I want to hear from other people as to their their concerns. So um, go to our, our campaign website. Um, frankly, you can give me a call. How's that? Uh, my number two zero six eight five five four eight nine three. Just be respectful of time uh, when you're calling. I was going to say, open but, the floodgates, uh, Joe. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, you know, if if if, if it is, uh, I I hope people just be respectful of of, uh, of that. But uh, so help me, 
I, I've had my personal uh, phone number on the uh, voters pamphlet, and you know I haven't been inundated with calls. So I appreciate when those calls come because I take it that people are serious about an issue and they're willing to talk. So, um, and I I'm definitely here to to listen. So thanks very uh, much, Joe. Well, this, this this has been fabulous. I really enjoyed this. We appreciate you being on the show. And it looks like I'm getting the signal, so here we go. Thanks for tuning in this afternoon. This podcast is now on our website, um, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and some other places are starting to snatch it up to as well over the last few years. Also at Facebook, STR8 Talk Radio, Sammy Tommy Roger, the number eight and Talk Radio. A shout-out to Joe Dietz and Charles for participating today. Really appreciate their comments. And this is Donya Keating. I'm signing off at about 1.59, right on the dot, PDT, on Tuesday, August 1st. Hasta la vista, baby.